his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, descended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And Harry's going to come help us sing. Our first one is going to be number 389 from Psalm 118, number 389. Jesus is fairer, Jesus is fairer. 
with that, so if you uh, find it and stand with me for the last hymn. Through 
the years you made it clear that the time of Christ was near. Though the people couldn't see what Messiah ought to be, though your word contained the plan, they just could not understand. Your most awesome work was done in your Son. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El El Adonai, age to age you're still the same, by the power of the name. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Kamkan Adonai, I will praise you till I die, El Shaddai. Maybe seated. And how can we pray tonight? Or what are some things for which we can pray tonight? Very good. Yeah, Steve. Um, I have a very strained relationship with my son. Um, some responsibility is mine. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I would appreciate traveling mercies for them because we assume that they are traveling back from Illinois tonight and with this rain and their close encounter a couple of weeks ago with the tornado. I just pray for traveling mercies. Okay. We can do that. What else? Yeah. Um, so, sorry, some of the last bit was, so you're expecting results this week? Okay. Thank you. What else? Okay, is that it? Last call? All right, let's go before the Lord. Father God, we are glad that you are God Almighty, the Most High. The one who is lifted above all things and who brought salvation to your people through Jesus Christ, even when they did not know his name, as we just sang. That we are the children of Abraham, redeemed in the same fashion as he was. And yet what a privilege we have explicitly to be able to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. As hard as it may be to see past the things directly in front of us in our age, what blessings we have to know the way that you have fulfilled your promises. 
and secured the basis of all that you would do for and in your people. We are aware of how weak and feeble we are and why it is so good to give thanks when we see that you have come to our aid. And we are glad for praise reports like the one that Nabil has just brought concerning George, his friend George in uh, Arizona, and how the, uh, this, his affliction with glaucoma seems to be easing. We are glad for that good news. And even as we have prayed for that very thing this week, what a good thing it is for us. What a, what a comfort it is for us to be able to give you thanks for answering the very things you, we asked you to do. You are a good and faithful God. We think uh, about uh, Nick and Maria Mata and the babies due to be induced tomorrow. And what a blessing it is uh, to see your people grow their families. And so we, we give thanks for provision for medical care. And we pray for that to go smoothly, certainly. We give thanks for good medical care in the tests that we're able to receive. And so we think of Gloria and we are glad that the test itself went well. How challenging it can be at times to wait for these results. And so we, we pray first for peace of mind, comfort and heart for the whole family as they wait uh, to get these test results back. And we pray so pointedly that the results would be positive, that we would have cause to rejoice at what we hear from these results, protect her from any sort of uh, thing that may be wrong, uh, why ever this test has been had. And we just beg you for, for reason to rejoice when we come back to consider what the outcome of these, result, of these tests were. We pray for help for uh, Stephen and Maria and the family as they travel. Uh, and the weather is bad. Uh, that trek is um, lengthy. But God, you are bigger than all of that. And so we pray traveling mercies and your protection there. How hard it is to be faithful in our families. How difficult we wrestle sometimes with the relationships you give us. We are thankful for them all. We are challenged by some more than others. That is true for all of us. We thank you for Steve, for his service to our church. We thank you for his uh, honesty in wrestling with a, a genuine uh, and authentic issue. And so we pray for his relationship with Stephen, that you might bring about more healing there. It is, we can never exhaust the depths of how we all need to repent. And we pray you help them both see that, that they might be closer that you might be more known by both of them and the realities that are true for all of those who trust in Jesus Christ, that they need not double down uh, on their positions, but can, in fact, repent and grow. And so we pray for help for them. Father God, how much do we pray for all of our families? Such a wrestling point in each of our lives to get on well with our parents, to be faithful parents, to love brothers and sisters of the biological sort, whatever it may be, we know that we fall short. And we pray you'd help us all to be better at this. And we, we think so pointedly, though, about our covenant children. And how this is 
one instance that has brought this topic to mind. How deeply we long to see you give us our children in everlasting life. And how good it is to know that you voluntarily made this promise to us, to be God to us and to our children after us. And so for all of the efforts that go in to discipling our children at home, as we pray with them, as we read the scripture with them, as we speak of you with our children, all the efforts that take place here at church, in Sunday school, in, in worship, in all of the things we do, in every remit of life, God, the things that we do to disciple our children, we know that none of them are enough on their own because only you can change hearts and bring faith. And we pray this regardless of how old our kids may be. Some of us have very young children. Some of us have grown children. They are still our children. And your promise remains. You are the eternal God. Your promise remains to be God to us and to our children after us. And so we cling on on to that wherever in life they may be. Father God, how much we long to see you prosper your church, to strengthen us, that we might know you well, that we might walk with you faithfully, that we might see others come to know you in good depth, to see the riches of your word. And so would you help us unto that end? Would you prosper this congregation in gospel things? Not for our own prestige, not for superficial reasons, but so that more people might proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus, exalting him as Savior to glorify him throughout this age and the age to come. We ask it all in his name. Amen. The reading of Holy Scripture tonight comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Ephesians chapter 1. If you will stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. This is God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his Great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule 
and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy may it be preached for you. You may be seated. And as we come to think about this portion of God's word and others, let us pray for God's help. Almighty God, as we continue to think through uh, this great summary of our faith, this summary that has been handed down to us, Through the millennia, the privilege that it is to say the same words about what we believe, that your people have said for generation after generation after generation, and we come to this phrase about how Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven and is seated at your hand, right hand, Father God, We ask that we come to new clarity, new appreciation and love for how our Savior reigns over all things for the good of his people as he is seated on the heavenly throne. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus Christ. And so help us to rejoice that we belong to that King. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher, they are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, to serve you better. And we ask it all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a common bug of humanity that we we don't like saying goodbye. We even have these stock phrases like, well, I'm bad at goodbyes, or let's say see you later, rather than say goodbye. Even something like absence makes the heart grow fonder, as true as it can be, well, really aims uh, to make us feel better about being apart. So regardless of how we cope with it, we have this innate sense that separation isn't good. And we have to reckon with what that sense against separation means when it comes to Christ's ascension. The disciples were heartbroken at the crucifixion. Thinking all of their hopes that they'd found uh, the true Messiah at long last, that those hopes had been dashed to pieces. And so imagine their elation at the resurrection, having their Messiah returned to them in his risen, glorified power. But then imagine their confusion when Jesus ascends. They'd just gotten him back, and now he's leaving again. And the the crestfallen sense of confusion sits heavy over passages like Acts 1, 9 to 11, as the disciples needed some direction while dawdling, probably open-mouthed after watching Jesus ascend. And when they had seen these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, whether they 
should have known what would have happened in light of Scripture and in light of Jesus' explanation of Scripture, uh, regardless of what they should have known, almost nothing went according to their expectations for Christ's work and for the way that he would win and expand his kingdom. And we are left to consider what Christ's ascension means for us as we walk the Christian life in this age, waiting still for Christ's return. It would be very easy, I think, for us to just write off the ascension as Jesus' way of, of letting time move on as he waits to come back and finish what he started. But as we saw last week, his resurrection was his recognized coronation, his formal investiture with the kingly office. And we should probably remember that coronations are usually followed not by taking a break or by delaying the exercise of authority, but by taking a seat on the throne. And starting to wield royal dominion. And that's why Luke began the book of Acts at all. Saying in the first book. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. And teach. In other words. Well the gospel of Luke describes what Jesus began to do and teach. But implying that the book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and to teach. And we have to get our heads around how Jesus did not ascend to heaven in order to rest, but rather to reign and to rule. And so our main point is that Christ rules and works for our good from heaven. Christ rules and works for our good from heaven. And our three points are installation, intercession, and indwelling. So first, let's think about installation. And Ephesians 1, this passage that we read in Ephesians 1, helps us start our reflections on Christ's ascension. We should notice Uh, that this section of this letter is part of Paul's prayer. For this reason, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. For this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And we should not overlook what, what prayer means. In this context, prayer is appealing to the king, right? Prayer is looking to the God who reigns that he will wield his royal authority on our behalf as we seek him. And because God does that for us, Paul was thankful that the God the Father that God the Father of glory enlightened spiritual eyes toward us who believe to see the majesty of the gospel specifying that that God performed this great work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places And this is where we get the kingly connection, right? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And and just in case that didn't sort of seal the deal that I mean everything you could possibly think of. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this is 
royal discourse describing Christ's reign after rising from the grave and so being crowned as the risen Son of God in power, Jesus ascended to heaven and is now seated at the Father's right hand. In other words, after his coronation, he took a seat on the throne to reign and to rule over the affairs of his kingdom. He is continuing to do and to teach from his throne in the heavenly places, exercising his dominion over all things, over everything. Now notice, notice here the specific connection as God puts everything under Christ's feet. This is kind of, an, I think, an amazing thing that we could easily overlook, that Christ was given, Christ was given to the church as head over all things. So, so as, as Christ reigns with all authority in heaven and on earth, he does so as the Father's gift to the church. What a gift it is to be the people we are with this king. Now, there's a reciprocal relationship that the Father gave the elect to the Son as a gift for his people, right? The elect were the gift from the Father to the Son, his church, to uh, this gift that would glorify and exalt him in everlasting life. That's one side of the gift. And the other side of the gift is that the Father also gave the risen Christ to the church as their redeeming king to reign on our behalf. He could have given us some other king. He could have been the king in judgment. He's given us the risen Christ as our saving king. And even, even then in the, in the act of being seated at the Father's right hand is significant. Being seated at the Father's right hand. Taking, taking a seat on the throne meant full right to be in that position of authority. Being seated also meant that his mission was completed. He didn't have anything left to finish. Right? Being seated was a, a physical posture in heaven that has theological value. Taking his seat means that everything that, to procure redemption is complete. And here's the curveball. Because on the other hand, in Acts 7, for example, 55 and 56... As Stephen was stoned to death as the church's first martyr, Christ blessed Stephen with a vision of his posture in heaven. But he, meaning Stephen, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, this is as he's about to be killed, right? full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Whereas Jesus being seated marks his mission's completion, coming to rest on the, on the heavenly throne to reign until his return. Now his posture of standing 
marks that he is at attention to wield his authority, to exercise dominion. He stands to act as king. And the comfort for Stephen as he went to a tragic death was that whatever befell him, whatever might happen to him in his body, it occurred under the watchful reign of Jesus Christ as he stood to oversee and direct all the affairs for his church. Even Stephen's death happened under the authority of Christ, who reigned as the Father's gift to the church to be our King for our good. All things then, even the hard things, are fruits of Christ's ascended kingship. Christ's ascension was his installation to the heavenly throne. That brings us to our second point, intercession. Intercession. If, If Christ has ascended to take up the throne in heaven, what is he doing as he reigns now? I think one of the things that we should kind of have this paradox, given the things that we've just noted, or that is that Christ is always seated and always standing in heaven. Now, I'm not trying to ask you to take me super literally. I'm, I'm asking you to gra- grab hold of the significance. His work is done, and he is always working for you. And so, what is he doing As he's working. And that's the question we want to take up here. Uh, So so commenting on why Christ is a better mediator than the old covenant priests were. Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7 verses 23 to 25 says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives. To make intercession for them. The resurrection is the assumed premise here, explaining why Christ, why Hebrews is talking about Christ lives forever, because he's come back from the dead. He came back to life, defeating death. He lives forever because he has overturned the power of death by dealing with our sin for us. And as the everlasting high priest, we learn what he is doing while he reigns in heaven. He always lives to make intercession for us. Now what does it mean for Christ to intercede for us? It means, first and foremost, That he is continually applying his own work on our behalf. It means that he is constantly reminding the Father of his own finished work. so So that the grounds of our forgiveness and our acceptance are never forgotten in the divine throne room. They are always to mind because Christ lives forever to remind of them. He is pointing to what he has done so that there is unceasing awareness of why we get to be welcomed into God's very presence. Now there are 
two applications that I think we need to pick up off this point. And the first one concerns worship. Christ's intercession is the reason why we talk so much about worship as being welcomed into God's throne room. This is the ground. When God calls us to worship at the beginning of our Lord's Day services, I mean, we call it a call to worship, right? And God's the one doing that call. That's why we read His Word. When God calls us to worship, it is an elevation of of this time here into the heavenly places. Before we shoulder that aside as an odd or, or just a sentimental way of, of describing worship, you know, trying to make it kind of seem more elevated than it is, we should remember that Ephesians 2.6 says that salvation is tied to how God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is a default sense in which the Christian life is already being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Worship is, is entering the throne room of the heavenly places as God promises to be at work through his means of grace in this time. This is bracketed off from the week. Because it's royal time when he lifts this assembly into the heavenly places. Christ's intercession undergirds that whole reality. The doors of God's throne room can open for us because Jesus Christ has opened them. And we should really grapple with, with the majesty of this reality. I mean, uh, imagine what would happen if a, a known criminal walked through the doors of the Oval Office. Jokes aside. The Secret Service would immediately tackle them to the ground, seize them, and drag them off for incarceration. Immediately. If that's the case with the working space of a simple civil servant in this little country that is a blip in world history, how much more should we imagine that that would be the case for God's own throne room? And yet, we sinners come into this time of worship in God's own presence without being seized and destroyed by the angelic guards because Jesus' intercession is unceasingly ringing through the heavenly halls. Believer, Jesus is calling out your name to defend you and sustain your accepted status before God himself. The call to worship opens the halls of heaven for us to enter, and God calls lovingly for us to join him in worship precisely because Jesus' intercession allows us to bring our praises, to confess our sin, and most of all, to hear the gospel, which is the announcement of what Jesus is doing now in light of what he's done. And so, worship rides the rails of Jesus' intercession as he stands to reign in heaven right now. Second, second, Jesus' intercession reminds us of of the simple 
but profound point that we can easily just gloss over. We talk about it so much, and yet there are depths that we could never plumb. The simple but profound point that Jesus loves you and that he cares for you. And here's what I mean. Here's why this, this gets extra teeth on it right here. Because Jesus' intercession means that he is carrying all of your prayers before God's own throne. That means first, that means first that Jesus has received our prayers as our mediator. Jesus himself hears you as you speak to God. And he cares about everything that you bring before God in prayer. Jesus himself is guaranteeing that our prayers are received, are heard, And are even pleasing to the Lord. Christ's intercession is his ongoing work in heaven. To care for his people. In light of what he has already accomplished. Our final point is indwelling. Indwelling. Because despite the emphasis here. That Jesus is bodily in heaven, which creates a a, a distance of sorts wherein Jesus is always away from us. We should never think that we are totally without Christ's presence. Because, Because Jesus has ascended, he is able... To come to all of his people everywhere at once by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, after all, Jesus ended the Great Commission, didn't he, with with the promise that as you go, as you disciple the nations by baptizing and teaching them, behold, I am with you. I'm about to ascend. And yet... I'm promising you that you will see, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so our closing reflection needs to be on how Christ ascended so that he could be with you in a special way. In John 14, 16 to 19, um, upper room discourse. Jesus explained what he will do after he ascended. And he says, I will ask the Father. And he will get, this is amazing language, I think, to talk about the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. Do you ever feel like you need help? Jesus is asking the Father to give you another helper. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Get this. Hear these words from Jesus. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Being justified by the Spirit at his resurrection, Jesus ascends with new authority to send the Spirit. Namely, as the means by which he himself indwells those who believe in him. The Spirit is with us forever as our helper to learn, grow, persevere, make it best we can sometimes as Christians. He dwells in us by faith. But note that the Spirit's indwelling is why It's the reason, it's why Christ says that he will not leave us as orphans, but will come to us and we will see him. And so it is again why gathered worship is the backbone of Christian experience. The preaching of the gospel, as Galatians 3.1 says, means that before your eyes... Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What a joy it is to take the supper so often together. Because in the supper we see the deposits of Christ's very presence. With we see it as he joins us at that table for our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. That is why we rejoice to celebrate it. It is celebration because it is an event of Christ coming again by the power of the Spirit to be with us for our help. As the Christian faith upends so many expectations, Christ's ascension means his deeper presence with his people, despite all that we might think intuitively. By his ascension and heavenly enthronement, he both raises us to heaven to be seated with him and comes down to be with us as we live in this age. Christ's ascension means the Spirit's indwelling, which is the promise and the presence of Christ himself living for and in us forever. Let's pray. Father God, we live in a lonely world. And so many fear and experience abandonment. And our Savior has said he will never leave us as orphans. But that he will come to us. How good it is to belong to that sort of king. The king that in our hardest moments stands to reign. And helps us see him as we face our greatest challenges. That as we walk, this pilgrim life promises that home is at the end. But promises that he has made a home within us as we make our way there. Countless challenges face us. But how glad we are that Jesus Christ reigns and welcomes us into your very presence 
that we might be heard, received, and accepted in this age and the one that is to come. Fill our hearts with confidence and with joy for whatever it is that you may give us in the week before us, knowing that Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, ruling and working for our good from heaven. We pray it in his name. Amen. People of God, would you stand to receive your benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore, and all of God's people say, Amen. Good to be with you today.